Not too long ago, Vicki and I were watching a movie called Respect. Some of you may know it. It is the biopic of Aretha Franklin, the Queen of Soul. It's actually very well done. It starred Jennifer Hudson. And I'm not sure if you know her story. I didn't really know it that well. But of course, she was a gifted singer from an early age. And in spite of that wonderful talent, she really, it, it took a while to get some traction in the music industry. A lot of her earlier works in the 60s, early 60s, were part of, were essentially covers of, of other artists and older songs. And they were okay because she was, you know, talented, but they weren't any chart-busting kind of effort. It wasn't until 1967 when she really had what could be considered a breakout year. And, and one of the songs that was part of that 1967 push was Respect which of course, if you know the song, she spells it out, R-E-S-P-E-C-T. And it's just, you know, to use a, an overused word, but it truly is iconic. And it came with a host of other songs right in that one year. It really was astounding for her career and, and propelled her into the, into the renown, the justifiable renown that she has even today. But in the movie, the, the scene is interesting as to how that, that starts. She gets up, can't sleep, goes to the piano, and just with that, some kind of creative idea, doesn't quite know what it looks like, just starts hitting a note on the piano, maybe a chord here and there, maybe starting to hum something, but she still is more or less working the, the piano keys, trying to come up with a tune, has a, the semblance of a tune. Eventually her sisters, two sisters that are living with her, hear this and they come out. And one of them starts humming a little bit and starts singing. Another adds a word or two. Uh, Aretha Franklin's nickname is Re. And if you know the song, there's that sort of a refrain that keeps appearing. And so in that scene, the three sisters are, are doing a new thing. They're creating a song that none of them has heard. And they're doing it sort of a bit at a time. But in short order, it becomes what we know as respect. R-E-S-P-E-C-T. And I, I just love the way that that movie unfolds, what the scriptures that have been read to us this afternoon speak of, and that is God doing a new thing. Even you know, our first reading was in Isaiah, and Isaiah says, see, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up, don't you perceive it? I'm not making a, I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen the people I form for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. God is doing a new thing. I think if we're going to understand who our Lord is, if we're going to understand part of what He wants to do on us during the season of Lent, it is to help us to know and realize and press into this new thing that He has, in one sense, been doing ever since Jesus came on earth, but still does more and more in our own lives. There is a new thing that's going on. Paul is doing a new thing in Philippians, 
And even in Luke, Jesus is trying to tell people, trying to tell the Pharisees and those that are hearing him about the new thing that's going on. But if we're going to understand what God's doing, we need to unpack these scriptures a little bit more. The new thing is, is it can be any number of things. It can be something creative and as simple as a song. It can be something in terms of a new project at work. Seems kind of mundane, but those of you that have new projects at work know that that's, you know, that's three months, six months, could be a year, could be a lot longer. They always say three months, but they always end up being a year, something like that. There are new things that go on in our lives. There are new seasons that people enter, whether that's coming out of school and going into the workforce, or that's coming out of the workforce and doing something new that God is just revealing to you and showing you. I know some of you over the course of this year are going to go see a whole bunch of new things done in the way of of attending marriages of friends that have been sort of waiting to get married post-COVID. And now that time is happening. And you're going to see God take a man and a woman and bring them into a new covenant. I mean, it's a covenant He's established, but it's new for them. It's a new thing meant to be a blessing, meant to be life-giving meant to be something that honors Him and reflects Him and glorifies Him. God is the God of new things. Some new things are, are new aspects of relationships that you thought were a little bit tired, a little bit frayed, maybe even quite contentious. But you see the green shoots of some reconciliation, maybe some forgiveness. That's a part of, that's the path to reconciliation. New things. We serve a God of new things. Isaiah is written to a people that are in captivity. So part of when we think about new things, I think it's appropriate to get in touch with the full emotional force of what's behind this. He's writing to the Israelites who are in Babylon. They've been there for a while and they know that they're not where they're supposed to be. They're not in their promised land. They know that they lost it because of their sin, but they're longing to be back there and be once again to to rebuild the temple. There's a lot of destruction that's happened in the wake of their distancing from God and their disobedience to Him. But He is doing a new thing, calling them back, telling them through Isaiah what will happen. And there's just this amazing excitement that that we heard in, in the Psalm 126 that was read as well. God is doing new things in our lives. So what is it that we need to hear more of then and learn about this so that we can fully and participate and participate well? Well, the first thing I think we need to realize, be kind of upfront about it, is that new things actually can be resisted. I mean, the Lord is, is calling us into something new. He's renewing things going on in our life. But if we're honest, there's times we just feel a resistance in our heart. We feel like, ah, man, not, not that new thing again. I'm like, but it keeps coming up. And, and sometimes they're significant, like in the gospel passage. Here he's talking about a new thing that he's doing. He's talking about him being the chief cornerstone. He's talking about being the one who his father sends. He's using the imagery of a parable about an owner, God, who's, who's, who has servants who are the prophets that are going to collect the rent. But each one is turned away, Some each one more turned away with, uh, with greater... Uh, abuse than the previous one until finally he sends his son and he says they will respect my son and of course they say no this is the heir if we kill him then we will have what we want we will have the vineyard he's trying to do and and of course they say you know 
God forbid that this happens. And then he says, and he says, then why does it say the cornerstone, the stone that was rejected has become the chief cornerstone? That new thing that God is trying to do by actually bringing his Messiah in, in the flesh, God wrapped up in flesh, fully God and fully human, now in this time, and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are resisting their actual Messiah that they've been looking forward to. Why is that? Well, look, at it. we resist new things in our lives when we're too attached to the old things or the current things. They were at the top of the, whatever the food chain was in Israel. They had the reputation and honor that goes with religious leaders. They had the power that goes with religious leaders. They had the economic advantage that goes with religious leaders. If you look at how the Lord is often confronting them, he's confronting them for these sins, that they shouldn't necessarily have this. They, they, they shouldn't be devouring widows' houses. But it's a bit of a racket. It's honestly a spiritual racket. They are using the, the priesthood, and they're using being teachers of the law for their own selves, and not at all to participate, not honestly in any meaningful way to participate in the things that God has them to do, which is to introduce people to himself and to be a representative of the life that Christ gives. And they're not doing that. They're resisting the new things. And so Jesus has to tell them, then why is it that a stone who's rejected, the builders reject it? It's an interesting image. The builders say, no, not that stone. Like, we don't want it. We're not using it. It's not going to go in the building. In fact, get it off the lot. You know, some of you guys put it in a truck and get rid of it. And then despite their best efforts, this stone that they've tried to get rid of actually becomes the chief cornerstone in, the, in this new temple, in this, the reference or the illusion that's going on there. Like, their best efforts... And then this is, this is why we shouldn't resist the new things that God's doing. Because God's new things are going to find their way. They will come to fruition. They may not come in our lives if we're resisting, although he is the God of not a second chance, but innumerable chances. So don't be discouraged. But like this is, this is what God is saying to each of us in terms of helping us understand. So we don't want to be like the Pharisees who resist the Lord's visitation, who resist the Lord's invitation. Sometimes new things that the Lord is doing actually seem like old things. There comes a time when, once, when, when something that initially excited us, because it was new, just kind of gets a little old, a little frayed, a little familiar, a little tired. We're like, you know, that doesn't feel very new anymore. You know, it start, things just start to break down. You know, it doesn't spark joy in our heart. It's the result of wear and tear. You ever had something that just sort of just gets more and more worn and more and more just kind of beat up? We do. It's in the parking lot. It's our uh, 19, what, 20, 2001 Toyota Sienna. It's a faithful old van, but it never did get garage privileges. So the steady beat down of sun and everything has taken its toll. And uh, it's just hit its 200,000 mile mark. So yeah, still driving it. Um, but it looks terrible, let's be honest. It looks like it needs a paint job, it, and it does need a paint job. It, we're right on the cusp of like, do we actually like double down and invest more money in this thing? Because all our mechanic friends said, that, you know, that thing's got another 50K on it easily. Or do we just like bite the bullet and go buy, go buy something? It's like, I don't know, pray for us. We don't know what to do with that new thing that actually is pretty much of an old thing. But God uses that uh, in a sense. But here's the thing about 
when, when new things seem to be old, um, to, in, in a sense, if Christ is in them and if Christ called us to those, then He renews them. He, he makes what seems old or seems long or seems like we have to persevere, seems like there's not going to be an end in sight, seems like it's the same old thing, actually seems like it's gone from bad to worse and worse to worst. And we wonder like, Lord, what's the new thing you're doing in those circumstances? Here's what I want to say. Every day that Christ is in something that we're doing, some aspect of our life, he's making it a new part of our experience in him. See, no matter how long, whatever, however long the situation, some of you guys are doing doctorates, you're in for easily five years, something like that, it seems like it can get pretty long. But discovering the Lord and His mercy and His grace and His ability to help you persevere, to have favor with your thesis advisor, to do the defense, do all those kinds of things. God is doing new things even in the midst of an initial calling. I think this is part of what Paul is telling us about new things and old things. In, in the Philippians passage that was read, Paul is, is telling us this. He says, the new thing that God did in his life was to save him from a righteousness based on obeying the law. And few people were as zealous as Paul, as you know. He was you know, a Pharisee of Pharisees. As far as legalistic righteousness, he was faultless. I mean, that's, that's pretty bold, but he could actually say that. I'm perfect. Straight A student. 1600, solid SAT. That was Paul. And yet, he realizes that because of the new thing that Jesus actually did in manifesting himself as the Messiah on the road to Damascus and all that followed that, Christ was doing a new thing in his life. But he did never treated it, and this is what Philippians points out, he doesn't treat it as an arrival point. It's not like it's a destination, we're here, congratulations, thank you for flying with us, you've arrived. No, as long as he's in this life, in this flesh, he knows that he needs to press on. He says, I consider everything in my former life a loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ my Lord. The new thing that he's doing is wanting to press into who Christ is and to know him more. And that's why things that seem to be long-term, long, long tired, frayed, we can discover Christ in each, each and every day that we're in that. Lord, I want to know you today in the midst of this thing. I want to know what new things you're doing either in me, hopefully in this situation. Um, I need to know that, Lord. Paul goes on, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection. Some of us need to see the power of God's resurrection and making thing, taking something that was dead or dying and making it alive, sometimes for the first time. Like, Lord, I need that. I don't know where that finds you in your prayer life, but I pray that as you think about this over the course of the week, Lord, what have I considered dead in my life? A relationship, a situation? And, and how, I mean, are you, are you really trying to make that alive? I don't know. But Paul says, I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Like This is Paul knows that every day that he's on this planet, God has something for him to do that allows him to know the Lord that much more, to allows him to experience him that much more deeply. Not only the power of his resurrection, but also sharing the fellowship of his sufferings. I don't know about you, when I came to that part of the scripture, I, I used to, and honestly still do sometimes, just kind of 
resist it. I like the power of the resurrection part. It's got a lot of force to it. It's, you know, from death to life. Who doesn't like that? But the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. And these aren't side by side so much as one is a means to an end. How is it, if I want to understand the power of the Lord's resurrection, I have to be a participant in the fellowship of his sufferings. This is part of what Lent teaches us. This is the way of the cross that we uh, did at the beginning of this. The, the, you don't have a resurrection without a death. You don't have glory without having to go through this very challenging life. You don't see people in heaven that you know and love without being a faithful witness here, here and now. Resurrection is preceded by death. But in each situation, no matter how hard, I, there's something new that Christ is doing in us. This is what Paul is calling our attention to. So much so, you see the passion, the same passion that's in Isaiah and that the Israelites would have felt by looking at this, this prophecy is here when Paul says, man, I, I forget what lies behind and I strain towards what lies ahead. We once dog sat for friends of ours who had a, you dog lovers know this, it's some kind of breed that was like, a, like an Alaskan sled dog chow mix. You know, basically like 70 pounds of fighting. It was all muscle and, a couple, and four paws. And I took it out for a, a run one time. And was, I thought it was just a run. You know, we were just going to go jog a little bit and the dog's going to be next to my side. No, suddenly he was in the Iditarod. He, see, he takes off like a shot. He runs full tilt. I'm running full tilt. I, I am sprinting. I like sprinting is all I can do because it's either that or be dragged. And so I, you know, I, I get two blocks with the dog. I'm, I didn't have a heart monitor at the time, but if I did, it would have been really scary. Finally get him to stop. I stop. I'm like, th that's sort of the picture I get a little bit with Paul says he's straining with everything that is in him to know who the Lord is, to, to, be, to, to be found in him, to to strain towards what God has ahead. He knows that it will result in glory. He knows that, that as Isaiah says, that the people I formed for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. Paul looks forward to that day, but it's, he's not just doing nothing. He knows that everything that he's doing in this life goes towards whatever he will experience when Christ comes again. The new thing he did on the road to Damascus still has renewal each and every day for Paul. And whatever our road to Damascus was, there's still new things that he's doing in our lives in each and every situation. And so, I pray that this, where this finds us is with open hearts to say, Lord, what is the new thing? What is the old thing that I've somewhat perhaps given up on, but you still keep it in front of me, whatever that is. Lord, give me that heart that you gave Paul to press on, to strain towards what's ahead Press on to the goal of winning the prize for which you've called me heavenward. And then to be encouraged by Paul's words, because he says, all of, this, all of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if we're, we're holding back, if we're shrinking back, if we're not sure, then don't worry that God will make it clear to us. See, in this journey of, of new things, remember, it is God who initiated all these things. Israelites couldn't rescue themselves from Babylon. God had to do it. Paul couldn't rescue himself from a life of legalistic righteousness that was going to end in his eternal death. Jesus had to do it. Whatever new things were called to, God brought you to him. He put them in your heart. He put them on your mind. He gave you the ability to do them. He's not going to just leave us midstream and go, 
Well, you're on your own. And so where we find ourselves fatigued, where we find ourselves losing the plot a little bit, where we find ourselves saying, Lord, this feels really old and really hard rather than really new and really um, of you, th that's where I want our prayers, my prayers for what those are in my life, prayers for what that is in your life, to really be enlivened by the Spirit in this week ahead. And he, as he does that, I think we will experience the renewal that he means to come through this, these scriptures today. Amen. Thanks for being with us online in the Sermon Podcast. To find out more about Holy Trinity Silicon Valley, head to www.holytrinitysv.org.